everyone. Welcome to episode 156 of The Dive Down, a Wordle podcast focused on the latest words, phrases, vowels, and consonants for the casual spike. What about why? You know, why goes both ways. I'm just kidding. We're not a Wordle podcast yet. We're a Magic the Gathering show. You know who we are by now. And if you don't, thanks for listening for the first time. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, Stanislav? How how's your January looking? How's everything going? Can I be honest? It sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of honesty. Same. The weather really turned in the new year and it's just been so, so cold and so bleak. And I'm cooped up at home and it is starting to drive me crazy. Only two years in, huh? Only two years in of being cooped up at home. <laughs> if it was warmer outside, at least I could take some walks, but it hurts to be outside. Dave, you're with us in Chicago. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's awful. Yeah, it's like 12 degrees outside. I just had to take the trash out to the curb. And that, that's like what I do for fun and recreation outside of the house now is take the <laughs> either pick up or drop off a child and take the trash out to the curb. And that's that's my life. Yeah, yeah I'm really missing. I'm missing Chicago right now, yeah. you guys. Yeah. It's Is like it one, nicer in Denver? Oh, it's lovely. Always. It's like one quarter inch deep sheet of ice is over everything. That's Denver. You got it. Or is that Chicago? No, that's us right now. Oh, man. Well, okay. Well, here, the reason we have ice... Okay, this is great weather talk. I love this. I, I live for this. <laughs> so, well, we wanted to do it this week because uh, we don't want you to do it this week. They uh, they don't like to plow here. Especially... I mean, they don't really plow side streets. They just, they're just like... Uh, it's going to get up to like 50 degrees. It's all going to melt. No. So what happens is everyone drives over the snow and then it gets packed into some permafrost and then it never melts ever unless the sun directly touches it. Like the sun comes down and says like, you can melt here, but otherwise like I'm going to be driving on the same stuff until March if I'm lucky. Yeah. The streets are clear here, but, but the sidewalks are perilous. I, I'm, I love this podcast. Wordle, weather, falling. Is this a podcast for old people efficient, officially now? I mean, when has not always has been as- astronaut meme. On this week's show, we're diving into one of the weirdest combo creature medical toolbox decks in modern. With one of the oldest characters from Magic. That's right. It's Yogmoth week. Yogmoth's hospital. We finally made it. <laughs> Stan had to go to Yogmoth's hospital after he fell and broke his tailbone. I know. They were the only ones who accepted people with my weird brand of health insurance. And today we're really trying to answer the question once and for all, can Young Wolf win games? But first, some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Dylan P, Ka C, and Mac B. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. And uh, no new reviews this week, but if you like us, if you use Apple Podcasts, please think about giving us a review. It helps people find us. Mostly it makes us feel better in these bleak, darkest days of winter. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that uh, that winter in Chicago goes until about Mar- May 1st. So uh, yeah. anytime between now and May 1st, if you can leave us uh, a review to warm our hearts, we'd appreciate it. I also noticed you can leave star ratings on Spotify now. I think only on the phone app, because of course you split your phone and desktop features. You know what, Shane? Nobody in consumer apps cares about the desktop. I got to tell you, very few people. Man, right. The traffic, it's it's very low. But we know, you know, about 20% of our listeners use Spotify. If you're one of those folks out there, uh, click some stars on on your mobile app. Uh, it will. I know, I think tw- 30 people or 29 people have done it already. So thank you. Feel free to do that. And if you'd like to find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. 
We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it a little bit this week. But, um, you know, come and join us. You can come and join us in our Discord server for as little as a dollar a week at Patreon. If you'd like to support us while playing Magic, you can check us out at manatraders.com, where special promo code the dive down 2022 will give you 15% off your first two months of card rentals from Manatraders, the service that we love to use to rent decks. Now, the Dive Down 2022, that code works elsewhere these days, doesn't it, Dave? does. It also works with our new sponsor, Bearser and Man, luxury shaving, grooming, scenting, all kinds of different products. You know, I realized last week when we were talking about Bearser and Man, we didn't really talk about why a wet shave was a good thing. And Shane, as someone who does wet shaving, can you give us your top three reasons that someone could sh- should consider doing a wet shave if they're not doing oh, one man. now. Okay, so, man, I had a great weekend. I practiced some self-care. Just like, you know, took a long shower, got the, put a fresh razor blade in my razor, you know, got the, got the soap dish out and just make some nice lather with the brush, take your time, get some good scents going, get it, brush it all over your face. And just like, you know, it's just a little moment of respite, a little moment of contemplation you know, and, and in your week, if you can afford it on the weekday, that's awesome. Sometimes I just, you know, take a little bit more time on the weekend. It feels good. It smells good. It makes you feel kind of like you're you're taking some time for yourself instead of just like, you know, going as fast as possible. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just nice. Yeah, that's great. And if you're a person who likes nice things, maybe you like a nice cup of coffee. Maybe you like a nice, I don't know, nice watch. Maybe you like a nice pair of slippers on a cold winter day. Sure. Check out Barrister Man for something else to add to your niceness routine for your life. That's barristerandman.com. Code the dive down 2022. We thank you for your support. Stan. Shane. Are you in the news desk this week? Yes, I am. I got my little press hat on. I just licked the end of my pen. I thought you were serious. That's not a press hat. It's got a picture of a cactus on it. <laughs> I was like, what newspaper are you working for? Listen, there's news in the desert. Uh-huh. I did do the breakdown this week. I only focused on the Sunday Modern Challenge for a couple of reasons. A, I felt like the Saturday Challenge was pretty run-of-the-mill. If you've been keeping up with the Modern Metagame over the last month or more, you basically know what to expect in terms of the top dogs in the metagame there. But the Sunday Challenge actually offered a little bit more variety, a little extra something to talk about. So I want to share that with you, starting with a brief look at the overall metagame breakdown of the top 32 as assembled by Bamzing on Reddit. Thank you, Bamzing, the show powered by Bamzing. Dun, 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 powered by Bamzing. Was that, was that a Duracell tune? I thought it was Intel, but yeah, you're right. I think that was oh, no, Duracell. No, that was Duracell. It's a little bit of each. Yeah. Let's just keep interrupting Stan. It's fun. That's our own Bamzing jingle. Bamzing, you're free to use it. You're welcome. I wonder what happened to that rabbit. You know that rabbit with the, with the drum? Yeah, some ad agency gets them out every four years or so. All right, so looking at this top 32, the most popular deck with five copies is White X Hammer. So we had some mono-white versions, we had some black-white versions, but it's hammer time. Second, It's always hammer time. It's been hammer time for, what, six months? I think it's been hammer time for close to a year, at least. Second most popular deck, Grixis Shadow. Probably also not surprising. This metagame is topping out right now. It's starting to feel like it. What's the next one going to be? Blue-Red Murktide? It was Blue-Red Murktide. What? There were three decks that had two copies each, and that was Murktide, Jun Saga, Red-White Burn, and Blue-White Mill. 
Two two blue white mills, not Demir Mill. We're just straight on Azorius Mill, huh? This is the new evolution. Welcome to the future. There were sixteen one of decks, however. So the other bucket is the biggest one of all. And among these one of decks, we've got Tron, we've got humans, we've got Yogmoth, Amulet, Blink, Living End, Affinity, other decks. It's a lot of variety in this one, even though the top is still kind of the most familiar faces being Hammer, Shadow, Murktide, Jund. And burn. In fact, this is a pretty big drop off for the four color blink deck. It was much more popular in the Saturday challenge. What a difference a day can make, Stan. Indeed. If we look at the top eight specifically, in first place, it was Black White Hammer by DM4X. Pretty stock looking list. Second place, HN Magician on Mono Green Tron. Mm, what? Come yes. on. Yes. In fact, always there. This version of Tron had a main deck copy of Sundering Titan, taking up a slot that's frequently occupied by Kozilek Butcher of Truth. Usually, Sundering Titan appears in the sideboard to be picked up by Karn. Here, they're running it main. I'm thinking because it's so powerful and effective against some of these four color blink strategies in particular. Since those games tend to go long, and then eventually, if you don't find your Titan with Karn, you can just grab your Sundering Titan by naturally drawing it. Bada bing, bada boom, blow up a bunch of their lands. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting build. They're focusing, I mean, they have a main deck, Emrakul, the Promise End, which is not always there. Like you said, Kozlek has been showing up a little bit more. I think just Kozlek is just awesome drawing four cards and the cast trigger is just kind of worth playing Tron 4, you make enough mana, you can draw four more cards. That's a great way to refill your hand off the top. Really effective against Mill as well, as that was gaining more popularity. I mean, I don't think this deck really fears Mill, honestly, because so many high CMC uh, cards are in there. I mean, there's quite a few low, but a lot more CMC than the the average deck out there. But yeah, it certainly uh, doesn't hurt. Kozlex just a, is a dope card. Uh, but, you know, there's the main deck Sundering Titan is wild. It's kind of shaving on the Worm Coils right now. Uh, only down to two. It's got a Singleton Walking Ballista for those, uh, you know, just pinging people to death and one on the side to tutor up with Karn the Great Creator. I missed this deck. I'm just talking about it like I like I really just want to cast these cards again. Come on. Oh, I just bought a Kozilek to, to keep it updated myself, and I even slotted in that one Yava Maya replaced a, a forest with it. That's expensive. It's just so easy to keep this deck up to date. Like, you buy one card a year, maybe two, and then you got Tron all over again. Wow, I didn't realize Kozilek was $70. Good. Good Whoa, night. I did not pay that much money for my Kozilek. No, that's what I, it has there. I, I don't think it's actually that expensive. Stan, uh, you never pay full price for any card ever. You're like, someone gave it to me for $37. I, I don't pay full full <laughs> price for cards, but there's no way Kozilek is actually $70. Never pay retail. I, I just wanted to point out real quick on this one. You know, I've been talking a lot about playing Amulet Titan lately, and this is the version of the deck that you two are willing to play that I hate. So there you go. You, you guys can bond about Mono Green Tron at some point in the future. What was in third place? Third place was a four-color Luris deck. It was listed as four-color Darcy in Bamzing's report. It looks from a high level like your Grixis Luris mid-range package without Death Shadow, but this version is also splashing white for, can you guess it? I'm sure you can, Prismatic Ending, along with some white-ish sideboard cards such as Lavinia and Kaya's Guile and Wear and Tear. It's got a full playset of Kaya's Guile between the main deck and the sideboard. Two main, two side. That's she, wild. She's back. Her guile is in at fourth, least. 
In fourth place, Dazai, which is actually the current standing world champion, Yuta Takahashi, on Is It Murktide? And their list includes two copies of Flame Blessed Bolt in the sideboard, which is kind of like a magma spray that can also hit Planeswalkers. I'm guessing the reason you're running this right now is to maybe exile cards from some of the Luris decks. Yeah, it's an interesting piece of tech. I remember reading the spoiler for Crimson Vow and kind of wondering if this card had enough. Was this Crimson Vow or Midnight Hunt? It looks like Crimson Vow. Um, it's got a bat. It's got a bat. Which one's the bat? I think it's... That's Crimson Vow. Bats go with vampires. It's from the double feature set. When in doubt, just say double feature. Um, I remember reading it and wondering if this might have a spot because it exactly like you said, it was an exile effect at instant speed that hit planeswalkers. It's like they always find every little piece of design space that's left for a single red spell that does two damage to something because before we had a sorcery speed one that can hit players or planeswalkers or creatures and exiles or an instant speed one that only hits creatures. And now we have one that doesn't hit players, but it's instant and uh, hits creatures and planeswalkers. Uh, watch for more things like that in the future. But I, I do think that card is a reasonable thing to have around. Isn't there a one mana that that deals one damage, hits all targets, and exiles? Is there a one mana that does one damage like yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the MDFC. Shattering Spike Field Hazard? Is that what that's called? Yeah, I think it's Spike Field Hazard. Not, not the one that comes in untapped for three life, but the one that yeah. comes in tapped. Yeah, that's, one, that's exactly right, yeah. Deals one damage to any target, exiles it at instant speed. The reason I'm even bringing it up is it makes me wonder, what is this extra point worth? Kills Luris That's, and exiles it. That's what it does. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. In fifth place, Jund Saga featuring Luris, piloted by Sano Toter. And first of all, this deck went undefeated in the Swiss. Ooh. So I think that's pretty noteworthy to begin with. It also doesn't look like any previous Jund Saga deck that I've paid attention to because this one has zero copies of Dragon Rage Channeler, but instead features four copies of Elvish Reclaimer. My gosh. Gets big a different way. It's just another 3-3, three, three, right? Or this one's a 3-4. Sort of. The other thing that I think that Reclaimer enables is if you have four mana... Or even before then, but with four mana, what you're able to do with Reclaimer is activate it in response to an Urza Saga reaching step three. So you can spend two mana to make the Karnstruct, and then you can spend two more mana to activate the Reclaimer. So not only are you getting a Karnstruct and your free artifact off of chapter three, but you're also getting an extra land off of the Reclaimer. Yeah, can I tell you, this is gross to be on the other side of. I lost to this deck when I was leaguing with Yogmoth for the episode the other night. And uh, yeah, I was like, Reclaimer was their turn one play. And I was like, okay, is this Titan? Are they going to do something weird? And then they played they played uh, Urza Saga. And I was like, okay, it's Amulet. They're going to go get an Amulet. And then it was just like Jund suddenly. And I was like, oh no, what's going on? And then I found out real quick and they just killed me with reclaimers and constructs and that really felt like you know the ragavan is in this deck and tarmogoyf is in this deck but it really both the games i lost i think were to multiple construct tokens and multiple reclaimers and uh not the easiest thing in the world to keep up with so it's not just like a sylvan advocate (laughs) no it's not it's go get another land it's no go get another urza saga with your reclaimer that you uh sacrificed it was, uh, it was pretty rough. I like the tech. Yeah, it's neat. It also is playing Assassin's Trophy over Terminate and Abrupt Decay. 
in the sideboard, it's got some blast zone, ghost quarters, and bajuka bogs so that you can both recycle those off of Renin Six or in bajuka bogs case, reclaimer. You can reclaimer it, play it back with the Renin Six, just keep keeping your opponent's graveyard empty. Interesting version. I love the iteration here. I think Elvis Reclaimer is a card that is so good and sort of like a little bit underutilized in modern. And so maybe we'll see this kind of pop up in more places now that there's this synergy with Urza Saga that's become a little bit more well-known. In sixth place, Black Green Infect by Big Brown Stain. My favorite Primus song. Seventh place, Hardened Scales featuring Luris by Suze Six. And this version is also playing white for Esper Sentinel and Ingenious Smith, plus some cyborg copies of Pata Exile and Prismatic Ending. I don't know that we've seen Hardened Scales splash the white for Sentinel. Smith is cool. I think Sentinel is cooler. I feel like we've definitely seen all variants of the, the mana usage because mainly of Zabaz having the red and the white you know, activated ability. So why not? It's not hard to hit these colors. I'm honestly surprised it's not running any red. I mean, it has a stomping ground, which is interesting, but I, mean, I guess it just kind of makes the prismatic ending potentially better out of the sideboard. And you can activate the, the boss's destroy target artifacts ability. Yes, which is really always handy for like hanging back Walker and stuff like that. Yeah. Finally, eighth place, Black White Hammer by Joey Crow. Is that a new deck? Yeah, it's got Dark Confidant. Ooh, this one's doing the three Dark Confidant thing. It sure is. I love that no matter how people want to kind of use the last three to five slots of this deck, it's just always, you're fine. You're fine. Do whatever you want. The last four cards do not matter in Hammer. Just play a Ginger Brute. Why not just play more lands? Maybe I can do that. I want to call out a few honorable mentions. A 10th place Humans list. And this is my first time noticing in Humans main deck, Sanctifier Unvec. Turok Dread Cantor, Adeline Replenish Captor. Do you guys even know what that card is? Adeline Resplendent oh, yeah, Cather, do. do you mean? Cathar? Yeah, the Cathar. That's, that's the human Bramaz. Yeah. Yeah, I really, good. I really now, butchered the name of that one. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. That, that was not transcribed correctly into the show notes, even, even a little bit. You got, you got her first name right. I mean, Shane, you were a person who loved Bramaz back in the day. Oh, man. I love Bramaz. Yeah, Bramaz. So if people don't know this card, it's a generic white-white for a star four. It is a legendary creature, Human Knight. It has Vigilance. It says Adeline Resplendent. Cathar's power is equal to the number of creatures you control. And then it says whenever you attack for each opponent, create a 1-1 white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. So yeah, updated rules text for Bramaz, basically. Bramaz brought in one token? Two tokens? I think- Two oh, tokens, man. right? That's a good question. Was it two? That feels Maza, very good. Two tokens. It was kind of sick. Man, that was an absurd three mana card back it then. It really was. Uh, you know, they added the Planeswalker thing to this, but really it's it's just a nice way to make a bunch of tokens and make your board wider. Obviously, Adeline's power gets pretty big in this deck when you're, you know, dropping Esper Sentinel and Noble Hierarch and all that kind of stuff early and then going from there. Uh, what Bramaz did, it, it only put it put one when you attacked and one if Bramaz blocked. That's what it was. And they had Vigilance too, right? Did they have Vigilance or were they tapped in it? They had, they, oh, they had Vigilance too. Yeah. You, so you had to get those uh, those cat Vigilance tokens. Very specific token you're looking for from Born of the Gods there. Here's the real heartbreaker. This deck has zero copies of Mantis Rider, which is actually the, the little guy on the Flying Praying Mantis. 
No, it's a giant. It's a giant mantis. <laughs> the man hops off, punches, and then gets back on. That's the mantis right. just sits there. So obviously, humans has kind of been here or there since MH two, but it's been there. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of it really. So I haven't been paying very close attention to its evolution since Imperial Recruiter was added to modern. But by looking at this list alone, it just feels like it's got more of a toolbox angle now, right? Someone is trying that out because of Recruiter, right? So you, you're cutting down on Kitesail Freebooter that's only a one-of. Phantasmal Image is only a one-of, which is also kind of a surprise. Sanctifier and Vec is a one-of. Turok is a one-of. And they're all searchable with Recruiter. And so, um, yeah, you can find something if you really need it. Turok, if you need it against white removal, for example. Um, Sanctifier, of course, if you need it against red and black. So I, I think that is an interesting angle on humans. Um, not sure w- how this deck competes against some of the stuff that's going on right now, but I guess, you know, you were talking last week, Stan, about how, you know, when there's a rise in Grixis Death Shadow, some of that might be because there's not an aggro disruptive deck like humans around. And then here it is. Maybe they got to feast a little bit on a metagame where, where, uh, Death Shadow is doing well. Maybe they did. In t- 13th place, Demonic Tutors with Yogmoth hospital combo mm-hmm. weird deck yeah. who's playing this we should try talking about it in the dive down a little a little bit more detail just like mm. just you think we can just like wing it i think if anyone can it's us yeah all right 16th place ponza which nowadays is just a ragavan fury deck sometimes it plays tarmogoyfs no more arbor elf all of its ramp sources are just Utopia Sprawl or Ragavan. It also has two copies of Thrun, the last troll in the sideboard. And I wanted to ask really quick, have either of you ever cast a Thrun? Should I buy some Thrun? I've never cast a Thrun. Thrun's a good card. Thrun's a card that's been 20 or $30 before in the past. If it's only six $3 right now, it could be worth having around. I mean, Thrun, Thrun used to be that, of course, it's that trump card in the control matchup for, for green decks, right? Yeah. Can't be countered. It has regenerate. Right quite can be quite good and has shroud too uh or hexproof i guess it actually has hexproof yeah but yeah it's a good card it's a good card to have a couple of around probably a different power for a different era it, this what this deck also has ignoble hierarch a couple of those in it which is interesting to see oh yeah that was the other mana dork replacing arbor elf sad to see arbor elf go because you don't get those super explosive turn twos anymore where you drop a four drop quite as much but yeah but are the four drops even worth casting these days I, maybe not. You know, you're probably just ramping into really good three drops or or you really just want to get running six online. So, yeah. 25th place, Mono Red Eldrazi. So, in addition to the usual Eldrazi that you would find in Eldrazi deck, plus red for the Obligator, this deck has a ton of modal removal spells. It's got Shatter Skull Smashing, Bone Crusher Giant, and Fury. It also has four copies of Dismember and four Chalice of the Void. And it still runs for Ragavan, which even if you're dashing out Ragavan, it's still getting countered by your own chalice. But then it's got three copies of Cavern of Souls, which <laughs> is so amazing to me. And the thing that I'm naming think, monkey. <laughs> yeah. And I think, or maybe pirate. The thing that really speaks to me here is just Ragavan is that good in most red decks that even if you have a non-bow in your main deck, in, you know, in your starting 60, you can still kind of contort your mana base and go to extra great lengths to make sure that you find a way to sometimes play him on turn one and hopefully take over the game that way. 
Yeah, I mean, it's also a bit of a testament to how good Fury is in this deck, too, because there's not really that many red cards as well. You know, there's only five red cards in this deck for 20 cards total, so you, you're you not tossing a ton of cards to, to Fury as well, so they really kind of jammed it in. Well, when you say five, it's five times four. That's what I mean. There's, tw- there's only 20 total, so right, right. usually with the, these decks, you wouldn't have a couple more options to be able to do it but um, for Fury, but that's, that's uh, interesting to see. All right, and then the last honorable mention, 27th place is Azorius Urza featuring Yorian, Wur of Invention, Thopter Combo, now featuring three copies of Brotback, mm. which looks like it's doing a lot in this version of the deck. Not only does it help grease the wheels on your Thopter Combo a little bit in case maybe opponent has some instant speed graveyard hate, you can just brought back to get some of those Thopter combo pieces back, but it can also buy back spell bombs, soul guide lanterns, and baubles without having to play a Luris deck. It also buys back Solitude after you evoke it if you want to, which is sort of another way to ephemerate in a weird way, right? Yeah, I like that. Okay, just a handful of quick takeaways. I'm still surprised Mill isn't more popular considering Hammer being the most popular deck in the format and Luris being so prevalent in general with Tasha's hideous laughter being such a huge upgrade for mill. It feels like this deck can really feast on a format, especially in a tournament environment that's going to be occupied mostly by hammer decks, or at least you're going to be most likely to run into a hammer deck based on its statistic popularity. I mean, it's got to beat other stuff. You know, it has to beat counter spells. It has to beat hand disruption. It's, you know, there's, it's not just all hammer out there. So, but I hear you for sure. But I think, I mean, it's just like, it has to have more than just like one or two or even three great matchups. I think you want to have like as, as good a matchup as you can across the spread. And, and I think it's just, it's even in these challenges, it's really hard to predict what you're going to face down, right? Like you're just going to, you go up against Tron, you're like, well, that's not great. Yeah. Speaking of Tron, I think this is the highest finish we've seen for Tron in months and months and months. The most dominant run for Tron other than playing against me in leagues because I always lose to Tron. It doesn't matter what deck I'm on. It doesn't matter when I play when I see it. I always lose. Do better. I just want to point that out that Tron still did well. Maybe it's not surprising that it lost to Hammer because that seems like the type of matchup that Hammer really wants to face. Kind of like a slower tap out control strategy. But here we are. You know, Tron still has potential. And not only that, this top 32... In addition to Tron, it's got Affinity, it's got Infect, it had Merfolk, and Jund, and it's just like 2015 called, and it wanted to say that it's still here in its own way. I still have good cards, kinda, or good concepts. All right, well, Stan, thank you so much for taking us through that challenge. It's always fun to check in on the metagame. Yeah, ready to talk about one of the more complicated decks we've talked about? Yeah, let's do it. That's right. As I'll ever be. Take that quick break. Head on into the dive down. We're going to be talking about Yogmoth. So stay with us. Welcome back. And as we said in the intro and right before we left you for about eight seconds, this week in the dive down, we are doing one of our patent pending dive down episodes about a deck in modern that is good slash popular slash interesting to us. And this week, we finally, to many of your happiness, we hope, are doing Yogmoth. Is that is that just what we call it now? We just call it Yogmoth. It's not Yogmoth combo. It's definitely not Yogmoth's hospital. 
doesn't show up anywhere else. It's just Yogmoth. Right? It's Yog. Just the, it's the most important card in the deck. Yogs and dogs because of the <laughs> Yog, wolf, right? Yogs, dogs, and some some weird walls of roots. But before we get into this week's dive down, definitely want to give some thanks to people who helped us digest and understand this deck, Demonic Tutors, for his tutorials and such online. It's helpful to learn various aspects of the deck. Reed Duke has some good recent articles, videos, sideboard guides, things like that. I reached out, of course, to our resident Yogman Aaron helped me with some advice thinking about use of different cards and things like that. So let's first talk about kind of just the concept of this deck. You might be familiar with it or heard us talk about it on the episode and just being kind of like, okay, cool, creature combo deck. So let's talk about Yogmoth. And so at its core, weirdly, this is kind of a cruddy aggro deck. You can do a lot of chip damage uh, through your uh, small undying creatures. We'll talk about what undying is in a second. You have a lot of exalted triggers from your uh, ignoble hierarchs. You can kind of go wide and go around people and just get damage in over time. And then, of course, you can reach the stage where maybe you combo them out with Yogmoth. And of course, we'll be talking about what that combo looks like in a little bit. In addition to that, it's also a creature tutor toolbox deck as well. It allows it to be flexible, customizable, gives you opportunities for creativity and strategy, lets you adapt it to your like local metagame or changing metagames over time. And in that way, the deck is a pretty cool puzzle to solve because you can kind of pick and choose your tech pieces as you think they're uh, more or less important. And this deck, of course, uses Court of Calling and Eldritch Evolution to get those combo enablers, get those hate pieces. Uh, and Evolution, as we'll talk about, is particularly good in this deck, uh, as it's somewhat of a drawback in, in many other decks. So this has been a deck that I've been interested in. I've liked creature combo decks in the past. Like I've played a lot of Devoted Devastation and the uh, Vizier combo decks. And this deck has been interesting, but not been something I've done a lot of reps with. And this has finally been an, a week where we got to spend some time with it and think about it. What about you guys? Have you ever touched a deck like this or, or this deck in particular? I mean, I, I, maybe you all know the creature combo of this particular, let's call it almost a birthing, not birthing pod lineage, but sort of reminds me of birthing pod. That kind of mid-rangey, black-green kind of deck is kind of not my thing. I don't do a lot of devoted devastation and don't do a lot of this. I do... Do, like Kiki Jiki, Splinter Twin, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I like an infinite combo, but this one's maybe the opposite end of the street for me. I'm with Dave on this one. I've never played a deck quite like this. I've never played a toolbox strategy before where the toolbox cards are are bad, <laughs> which I thought was oh, an interesting distinction true. in Yogmoth, unlike other strategies. You don't like Endurance? Not when it's irrelevant. Too. Beautiful toolbox creature. Which is kind of how I felt often, at least in my league. And we'll go through what I actually played in, or what maybe we faced off in our leagues later. But yeah, this one was really hard for me. And it doesn't really interact on the type of axis that I'm used to. And it's a combo deck that, unlike Kiki-Jiki, which is a two-card combo, or, you know, Crashing Footfalls, which is a one-card combo, this is like a three- or four-card combo. And that was uh, definitely new territory for me to kind of figure out how to piece together a winning strategy when I start the game off trying to plink my opponents with 
really bad ones and twos, basically. Hey, I strangle where guy says haste, okay? It really does. <laughs> you know what? That's one of the most notable things in the deck because that's the best attacking creature in the deck. <laughs> it's so good. Which it actually is pretty good. It's kind of a pain. So you Stan, you mentioned the combo. Let's let's describe this combo to people. And so the the main thing this works around is the mechanic of undying. And what undying does, if your if your card reads undying, if the creature dies, it comes back from the graveyard with a one one counter placed upon it if it did not already have a one one counter on it. And what Yogmoth's abilities do, the first ability lets you pay one life, sacrifice another creature, and put a minus one minus one counter on up to one target creature and then draw a card. Up to you is important. I stressed it. You might have heard it because I've I heard seen, the stress in your voice for sure. Thank you. I've seen players think that they have to have a target for the minus one, minus one. Definitely not looking at the other Mickey S here, okay? Um, because what you you don't you can just target nothing and you still get the sacrifice to draw a card effect. And so the way this combo works is when you have a plus one plus one counter on your undying creatures. You can then use Yogg's ability to remove those 1-1 one, one counters by putting a negative 1-1 one, negative one counter on them. Because in Magic Rules, that makes them cancel each other out. You have effectively zero counters. So what you can do is if you have two undying creatures on the board, you can target one of your undying creatures with that has a one, plus 1 counter on it to reset it back to normal. And then the sacrificed Sacrifice the other undying creature. It comes back with a plus one counter, and you loop those two creatures sort of back and forth, removing one counter, adding a counter with the undying trigger, and then you draw as many cards as you want, as long as you have the life to keep doing so. So one of the main ways you actually do something with this is let's say you have Jarelf's Messenger, which we'll talk about the exact details of that a little bit later. You have a Jarelf's Messenger in play. That's an undying creature. Can I read this card? Yeah, I think it's probably a good idea. Yeah, it costs black, black, black. It's a 3-2 zombie. Jarelf's Messenger enters the battlefield tapped. When Jarelf's Messenger enters the battlefield, target opponent loses two life, and it has undying. So if you loop that twice... You lose two life, and you're causing your opponent to lose two life every time Gerald's Messenger ETBs. So if you are ever at a higher life total than your opponent, you can just loop an undying creature in Gerald's Messenger back and forth and win if they don't have any interaction. And oftentimes, even if they do. So yeah, because you can just do it a few times as many of you have targets and then it makes it hard for them to interact. That's one of the things that's good about the combo, right? Is it's hard to interact with if you have a lot of pieces out. Exactly. Because it's all, you know, it's all on the stack. So as long as you're doing it above the removal spell resolving, then you're good to go. Mm -hmm. um, other than just Gerald's messenger and another important tutor target that exists in these decks is a blood artist or sometimes a Zulaport cutthroat. And those, both those cards operate similarly. They're one in a black. They have important differences that we'll get to later. But basically, if one of your creatures dies, you gain one life, and the opponent loses one life if either of these creatures are on the board. So you can get one of those creatures out pretty easily with your tutor effects, or by just naturally drawing it and playing it, of course. And then you just sacrifice indefinitely, and you maintain your life total while draining your opponent out. Uh, the big difference between these two is Blood Artist's targets and Zulaport does not, but Blood Artist does trigger on any creature dying. 
which can result in kind of a gradual life swing over the course of the game. And it's also a consideration for a Leyline of Sanctity meta or something where Blood Artist has to target and Zulaport does not. So if someone has some kind of uh, hexproof thing down, then you might want to avoid that. So there's considerations for both. Yeah, but a lot of times what you do is you find yourself trying to set up the Yawgmoth so that you can, with two undying creatures, so that you can then draw into Blood Artist a tutor or a messenger, basically. And all of them will come up in different situations, but um, the Blood Artist is a lot of times the one that you're looking for uh, because it has that gain life part of it too, so it can help you come back from when you're behind in life, right, Shane? No, you still die if you're behind in life, right? Well, it stabilizes, right? Yeah, stabilizes. So you you drain you drain them out with, with blood artists. You're, you're yeah, while you're stabilized. And I think for that reason, blood artists is basically the last thing you fetch unless you're in real dire straits. Right? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like the thing that you when you have the two of your undying creatures down and Yawgmoth, then that's the kind of thing you're just like, I'm drawing a bunch of cards. I'm going to draw into an Eldritch Evolution. I'm going to draw into a Court of Calling or naturally draw into my Blood Artist effect and then resolve that and then very easily win from there, uh, typically. Yeah, so that's the baseline version of the combo. Now, of course, there's a ton of other cards in this deck. Yeah. And like we do, we're going to go through the anatomy of the, the deck here so that we can talk about each individual card, a little bit of angles of each of them, see where it goes. Yeah, do you want to talk about the most important card in the deck? The card that makes it all work? The one called Yogmoth? Yep. Yogmoth, Thran Physician, gen- uh, two generic, black-black, a legendary creature, human cleric, Randomly has protection from humans. That's some uh, some flavor for you, I guess. And then pay, it has pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature, and draw a card. That's the ability that Shane talked about a moment ago. Yawgmoth does have a second ability. It's black, black, discard a card, proliferate. And what proliferate does, if you've forgotten, it was in uh, Mirrodin Besieged is choose any number of permanents and or players, then give each another counter of each kind already there. Yawgmoth is a 2-4. So, Yawgmoth. Yeah, good card. I mean, there's so much to say about it. I don't want to get in the weeds on like using it or using his abilities or anything like that, but I think it's just the reason the deck exists. Right? Weird. Right. Uh, I think both abilities are great. The The black-black discard and pro- proliferate is i think surprisingly useful especially once i started looking for opportunities to use it more i just kept seeing them more often especially as just games go long and you have a ton of mana on the board yeah um, magic is all it has tons of counters in it right yeah. so there's all kinds of things you can do with it when you proliferate you can add a token to your grist you can add a token an extra uh, plus one, plus one token to some of your undying creatures if you want to try to basically overrun somebody, which is like a corner case, but might come up sometimes. Um, you can add minus one, minus one counters to other creatures that you need to kill on your opponent's board because Yogmoth, and that's a dimension of Yogmoth that we haven't talked about too much. Maybe we'll talk about it later, but you know, it's not just all about the combo. Yogmoth can get out there and stabilize a board full of creatures for you by just killing everything and buying you time to be able to get the other combo pieces out. For sure. I think Yawgmoth being the most important card in the deck can't be overstated since usually if you've gotten to the point where you have the mana to cast a Yawgmoth, especially if you have any undying creatures on the battlefield, that's usually a signal to the opponent that 
I need to interact and get out of the situation or I'm going to lose potentially at instant speed. Just because Yawgmoth has so much flexibility that he can threaten to control the board by himself, draw cards, or really win on the spot. Yeah, that's the the wild thing. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in kind of strategy and gameplay type things. But Yogg is just valuable on the board almost at all points and times, right? Like you frequently just have a big card advantage swing. Like if they use a piece of removal on Yogmoth, you can generate cards by flipping some of your undying creatures back and forth as long as you want. You can use tokens from Grist. You can kill off now potentially unnecessary mana dorks. All that kind of stuff is just a great way to get value off of Yawgmoth with a, a pretty insignificant board at the time. And you don't have to win with it just because you can get a lot of value out of it. And I think uh, before we move on to the the Undying Creatures and whatnot, I think one of the reasons that this deck is a little bit better than it used to be is that you know, Path to Exile is, is largely out of modern. Prismatic Ending has replaced it in a lot of ways, and it has to be cast for four colors to hit Yogg. But one of the issues, though, is that Solitude, of course, is much more popular than it was a few months ago. And that's a really good answer to to Yawgmoth. And of course, uh, an activated Unholy Heat can can tag your Yogg, and so that's something that's also a weakness of it. But there's there's pros and cons, I think, to Yawgmoth in the meta, and we'll talk about I think some of those strengths and weaknesses in a little bit. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, people have brought this up that like Path is gone, like the stuff you just said, Shane. But I feel like there's a, as many hits out there that hit Yawgmoth at this point as there were pre Modern Horizons two. Kind of right now, it's just different cards in different colors. You know, Fury also hits it which is another thing. So maybe that's cleans starts up the mana to a little bit more. That's the bigger problem with it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, yeah, so I, I feel like the removal thing is a good point, but at the same time, it's just the decks that have good removal against Yawgmoth have maybe just shifted a little bit. The main, the main thing really is that it doesn't die to Bolt. And, you know, that's part of, this is a little bit of the pressure that's pushing Bolt to be less good and modern than it used to be. It's also just like, I mean, I keep, I keep talking about this while we're talking about Yawgmoth. It's just that, the, the, I think the deck is just also very good right now, or feels very good, because it's just redundant, and there's not a lot of instant win combo, not a lot of instant win combo out there. We saw a lot of those decks get nerfed from things like Simeon Spirit Guy getting hit, and Mox Opal getting hit, and other kinds of fast mana. And so, uh, un- unless you're facing down like a Char Belcher, which can be an issue or something like that, I think this deck has time to set up and create value both on the board and then through Yawgmoth doing Yawgmoth things. Let's talk about those Undying Creatures, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two Undying Creatures that uh, are in here commonly, and then a third one that kind of the quantities change a lot, but it's a super important card. So the main kind of glue in the Undying strategy here, though, are the two cards, Young Wolf and Strangleroot Geist. And so Young Wolf is just a green for a 1-1 with Undying. It's just a wolf 1-1 with Undying. Surprisingly annoying and effective card to have around, right? It it can trade for a lot of different cards. Uh, It trades for anything with one toughness. Notably, people love to use it to to block Ragavan. It's it's a little bit of a reason that 
this deck has got a, t a boost, at, I think, a little bit in the meta right now is because it has a reasonable Ragavan matchup. You don't lose cards immediately to just blocking with Ragavan. You come out ahead in the exchange. You come out with a 2-2, which sometimes is really good. Um, and then Stranglerout Geist, GG, has haste. It's a spirit. It has a dying, and it's a 2-1. Yeah, you do occasionally see people try this out in spiritsy type decks, which is kind of interesting, I think, just for the uh, the beater quality of it. But yeah, the the big thing with with this one is that this is a pretty aggressive beater card, so you can actually do some pretty decent chip damage with this card, especially with the haste. Um, but also the fact that this is the card that lets you evolution into Yogmoth if you want to, and and keep it essentially, Shane. Yeah. What about these two cards before we get on to the, the combo piece? I mean, they're very adequate cards. They're adequate indeed. You know, people will talk about this being a beatdown strategy and will cite these cards as primary way you do that. I don't necessarily think that these cards alone win very many games unless your opponent is an actual goldfish that somehow fell out of its little little tub of water. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. But I have to say, in the games that I played, the ones where I got ahead on life total was because of these cards. Yes. That's, and that's an important a thing. big part of it, right? Exactly. And that was the point I was getting to, where because they're cheap and are kind of aggressive and they'll sometimes trade with a blocker or they're awkward to spend an entire removal spell on because of the undying ab ability, being at more life total than your opponent when you get a Yawgmoth on the board, is basically the state that you want to be in to actually win the match or the game. And that's what they're pretty effective at, especially Stranglerout Geist, because it swings for two to three, yeah, and it has haste. I mean, yeah. you can do some weird things. Like, if you really want to get some pressure down, you can, like, evolution it to get a second one down and be swinging for like five geist you mean specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. second geist yeah uh and like you said it like this turns into your yogmoth for value frequently and so it's it's handy in a lot of ways but yeah it's still just a 2-1 undying with haste for green green which is not insane yeah but the the i mean I, I will say the cheapness of these cards is really ideal because you play a lot of mana darks that we'll talk about in a second and it lets you sort of go wide pretty quickly with the amount of mana you have available to you, which is nice because everything's pretty efficient. Yeah. And then the last card to talk about in the Undying section we already talked about, it's Gerald's Messenger. The biggest thing about this is the interesting takes that different people have had on the deck, mostly Demonic Tutors, in reducing the number of this card in the deck so that you really just play it as a combo card like a one of that you want to tutor up instead of having it as a three of or a four of that was part of some kind of broader beatdown plan that um you know you combo off of but it makes your mana a lot better than i have to rely on trying to cast a triple black three drop essentially and so it's gotten cut back to where people are just playing one of these as a combo piece yeah it's just it's just not a great creature to have down and so why not just use it as part of your tutor package yeah i mean it's it's big like the thing about this is that the occasional times where you draw this in one of your beatdown plans and you're like well it's a four three that i'm attacking with that did you know did four damage to the dome because i cast it once and it got killed and it came back i mean that that comes up i think too uh it's a nice bonus but yeah awkward to, hard to cast likewise 
this card is sort of the alternative to Blood Artist as your finisher. Where when you're on the Dralf's Messenger plan, that's when it's most important that you have more life than your opponent does. If you have a Blood Artist out, then you can loop any undying creatures. Your life total doesn't change while your opponent's shrinks. If you just have a Messenger and one undying creature and Yawgmoth, that's when you want to make sure that you can somehow get above water so that you don't accidentally kill yourself with your own Yawgmoth ability. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the Mana Dorks. These are cheap, they're critical, they basically make sure that you can cast your combo pieces and other good cards as quickly as possible. Yeah, and one of the big things here too is to try to cast Yawgmoth early, right? Like, it's sort of like, you you know, in Tron, it's like make Tron, in Titan, it's like make Titan. In this deck, it's like, you want to cast, one of the main ways that you win is by casting Yawgmoth and getting it online as fast as possible if you feel like the coast is clear, which, you know, it's a creature, so often it isn't, but sometimes you can just win a game by casting a turn three. Yeah, and I will also add, this deck has more mana dorks than any other modern deck I've ever played, except maybe elves. Mm-hmm. There's like 12 of them. And the first one, the oldest and most popular, Birds of Paradise. You know what it does? It fly, it don't attack. <laughs> and if you have one of your tutors, it makes for a nice snack. Oh yeah, good point. One of the newer additions in the Manador camp is Ignoble Hierarch from Modern Horizons 2. So this is a 0-1 with Exalted, and you can tap it to produce a color of Jund mana. So green, red, or black. There are some games I actually had where I just had an opening hand with multiple Ignobles. And those are also an effective way to maybe plink in a point or two of damage just so that I had a life total above my opponent's. Especially with a bird of paradise, sometimes you get a little flying chip damage in there. That's also true. And having you know some number of ignobles and a strangle root also feels fantastic because then your strangle root is just sometimes swinging for three or four without having any counters on it. Yeah, I think it's important to mention how important ignoble having uh, access to Jun mana is for this because it's basically it's you know it's a it's this deck is primarily Golgari. And so having green and black from your mana dork instead of like noble hierarch, just having the green, uh, that's just, it's just a huge deal. It, it matters a, a lot for this deck's consistency uh, because it does have some somewhat challenging mana requirements with uh, many double pip spells or triple pip spells in, in, for sure. In the last mana dork I want to cite, perhaps the coolest card outside of the actual combo pieces in this strategy, and that's Wall of Roots. Love this card. Yeah. Love this card. Never played with it before outside of this deck, and it's Ooh, just man. so useful in so many different positions. Oh, I played with it in in uh, Mirage, like <laughs> Mirage Limited, so many times, so many times. In case Does you don't know, Wall of Roots effect. Yeah, well, th- this would be the thing that we would name Wall of Roots effects after, except for they never made something quite like Sad. this again. Because it's too good. I think this is a car- one of those cards where the old design at the time felt really not powerful. But when you look at it now, you're like, whoa, this mana ability is kind of busted. Especially because you can take mana off of it on your opponent's turn and your own turn. So, so describe and this two other things. Yeah. Yeah, Wall of Roots, one and a green for a plant wall. It has Defender. It is an 05. And it has the ability put a... Negative zero, negative one counter on Wall of Roots to add a single green mana. And you can only activate this once each turn. 
So what that means is you can activate it on your turn, but you can right away activate it on the opponent's turn. And unlike every other mana dork in this deck, it doesn't suffer to summoning sickness because you don't have to tap to produce the mana. You just put a counter on I it. I love that so much. It's just like, it's such a great turn to play because you have access to so much mana that you can just use instantly. You can cast a couple undying creatures to set up your yog on the next turn. It's just great. Yeah. And then, of course, you can do this trick where you remove a counter from the wall and then also tap it to cast Convoke. Oh, yeah. Uh, Convoke Court of Calling if you want to. And that is unreal powerful, I think. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, it feels like cheating. That's when I realized just how insane and powerful and how much utility this card actually has. It's when I was producing, you know, sometimes three mana with it or so it felt. So one of the things you need to be aware of on Magic Online, if you're playing this deck, is you cannot undo putting the negative counter on it to make mana. And also, this isn't a huge deal because you can undo this, but you cannot tap it to Convoke and then put the negative counter on it for mana. You have to put the counter on it first and then tap it for cord. Yeah, and there's a bug that that causes that all this stuff is helpfully pointed out in Demonic Tutors. Yeah, straight lifted from his video. Yogmoth 101 video. So if you want to get from an ex- this particular thing from an expert, go check it out. But there is a bug on, mana on-, on Magic Online where, you know, in real life, in paper, you can both convoke with Wall of Roots and put the last counter on it for mana and have that work. You cannot do that on Mana Online, Magic Online. And, um, so just be mindful of that. You have to be careful when you're using Wall of Roots in that context, and it's different between paper and online for some reason. Haven't fixed it. Yeah, the other thing that I notice along these lines is often when I'm playing MTGO, I will tap the spell in my hand and then tap the lands in order to cast it. Yeah. And you yeah. can't really do that with Wall of Roots ability. Once you're given that little window to pay mana for whatever cast or ability you're trying to do, you can't at that point, put the counter on Wall of Roots. I don't know if yeah. that's a bug or if that's yeah, a rule. Just like click but. it, it goes to your pool, then cast the cord. Yeah, this I, I cast spells the same way you do, Stan, and I constantly had to be like, oh, I gotta go hit cancel again. I'm gonna hit <laughs> yeah. cancel and then put the counter on and then and then do it. But So we've been talking about the tutors, talking about cord, and so let's talk about what Cord of Calling does. This used to be slightly more popular than it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of you haven't even seen this for a minute. And it's XGGG for an instant, pretty awesome, with Convoke, which means your creatures can help cast a spell. Uh, Each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for a generic or one mana of that creature's color. Unreal. The second half of that clause is unreal on Convoke cards, (laughs) that it pays for a colored mana too. You can, uh, yeah, it's awesome. You can search your library for a creature card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So effectively... If you cast it for four mana value, you get a one mana value creature, five mana value, you get to a two mana creature, and so on. Yeah, and these are all these are all what I would call natural order effects in one way or another. I know they don't require sacrifices, but they do let you tutor something and put it directly into play, which is a little different from a tutor tutor. Yeah, it's it's bonkers. Instant yeah. speed, acting on your opponent's end step, blowing them out when they weren't expecting it with maybe a cool block or like uh, an endurance type effect or something like that is is really key to to hurting your opponent in a lot of ways. And the way this the court of calling being in your deck has a really big effect on how you play with this deck. 
And I found myself making mistakes that I then did not repeat. Like, oh, I can attack with this for some chip damage, but then, oh, wait, I really actually wanted to convoke with this creature. Like, if I, if I saved it and I was able to convoke with this creature that's now tapped, then I'd be better off. It wasn't worth the one damage because now I have Court of Calling. Um, or you know, blocking, sacrificing with Yawgmoth, all that kind of stuff requires a little bit more thinking because you want to be able to keep your options open depending on what, on what you're drawing turn to turn. So it might be tempting to be like, okay, I have some insect tokens that maybe I just want to turn into some cards with Yawgmoth. But then if I kill two tokens and I have two less mana effectively for my Court of Calling. So maybe I don't want to do that right now and I want to wait to draw for a turn or two because I don't feel like I'm under pressure right now. Yeah, I think this is the hardest part of the deck. Honestly, casting Court of Calling and knowing when to cast it and what to grab and when to grab it and making sure that you're set up to do it and you're still applying some pressure to your opponent, I think is definitely one of the hardest things to figure out. So every package for in a deck like this is better when you have eight of an effect. So of course there's another tutor in here, and this is the one that really is kind of a riff on natural order. That's Eldritch Evolution from Eldritch Moon. Uh, it's a generic GG sorcery as an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice a creature, search a library for a creature card with mana value X or less, where X is two plus a sacrificed creature's mana value. Put that card into the battlefield, then shuffle exile Eldritch Evolution. Yeah. So the math here is a one mana value creature is a three mana value one or less. Two can turn into a four mana value or less and so on. Uh, in this deck, having to sacrifice a creature isn't always that bad. It can even be helpful. Like if you want your creature to be stronger or want it to have a plus one counter on it for some reason, uh, then that does it with an undying creature. Uh, again, we stress the X or less. It gives you flexibility. Like you don't have to get a three mana value creature off your one mana value creature. You can get another one or you can get a two mana value one or something like that. If that's more valuable to you at the time. And these cards are just tricky to use. I think we'll definitely talk about the thought process that goes into using Cord and Elder Evolution, but they are kind of what make this deck work in a lot of ways because it's a creature toolbox deck. It's a creature combo deck and you have to have effects like this in order to be consistent and win. Stan, do you want to talk about our cool Planeswalker friend in this deck? I would love to. Unlike every other Planeswalker that you've probably ever cast, this one is a bug. And it's called Grist, the Hunger Tide. Another MH2 card, one black-green for a three-loyalty walker. If it's not on the battlefield, meaning if it's in your hand, if it's in your library, or if it's in your graveyard... It actually counts as a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types, meaning you can fetch it up with one of the tutors. But once it's on the battlefield, it has three abilities, plus one to create a 1-1 black-green insect creature token, then mill a card. If an insect card is milled this way, which in this deck just means any other grist, you can put a loyalty counter on grist and repeat this process. It's got a minus two, which is you may sack a creature, and when you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker. You could just minus two it if you want to and get no yeah, effects. Just for so kicks. Just yeah. good to know. Good to know. Yeah, just, just to show people that you can and you don't care what happens. And then finally, it's ultimate minus five. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. I won a game this way. I did too. I, th I think you should win lots of games this way if you're yeah. playing this deck the right way, personally. Um, but we could talk about this some more later. Yeah, I mean, this is like just the best 
Gris deck right now, right? Like it just has to be the best Gris deck right now. I think it just too synergistic with all of the different pieces and parts, and it, it just adds so much value to the deck in a lot of ways. I think someone in the Twitch chat asked earlier, like, what are the big upgrades between Horizons One and Horizons Two that made this deck more of a thing? And I think it, it's got to be Ignoble Hierarch and, and this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this this card seems like it was made specifically for this deck. Yeah. Like in Modern Horizons 1, they made Yawgmoth, and they're like, look at this cool thing. Look at all this stuff that you can do. And then Modern Horizons 2, they're like, and look at this Planeswalker that goes right in there. Yeah. I think what's crazy about Gris is that it allows you to tutor up if, if you're on playing on your turn and doing this. So probably Eldritch Evolution, but in some cases, Court of Calling. It allows you to tutor up a removal spell Yeah, that unlike... Ravenous Chupacabra, for instance, it then sticks around to do a bunch of other sweet stuff. Like maybe is, do another, be a removal spell twice. Be a removal <laughs> spell twice, produce bodies that then you can sack or block with or, you know, plink at your opponent. Or yeah. just dome somebody for all the creature cards in your graveyard and, and win, which is what's definitely amazing about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's so nice to have... The sacrifice fodder. It's so nice to have the re- tutorable removal spell, the repeatable removal spell. Threatening the ultimate is really great. You make defensive insects if you want to. Uh, I mean, effectively, this can this can read in a lot of ways like plus one draw a card, which is dope. Uh, it's it's just it's you make insects that tap for cord, so it's effectively adding mana in that mm-hmm. sense. So it's just. It's it's so wild how uh, an insect token can do so much for a deck like this. I almost feel like Grist is your actual alternate win condition, as opposed to whatever beatdown strategy your undying creatures may or may not provide. Where if you know, let's say corner case, your Yogmoth is surgical and you can no longer threaten to combo out your opponent, you can still very realistically actually just win with a Grist because you filled your graveyard with enough creatures. With his mill ability, in addition to maybe eating a ton of removal spells for some of your other creatures or mana dorks, and then all of a sudden you minus five and deal 10, 15 damage to your opponent's face. Yeah, I never got that that much, but I did get it up to like six or seven. Um, I never, I, I didn't actually win any games off of this one, but it was, it was close. It was always a threat. People just always killed Gris right before I could do it, which means, kind of means Gris is doing its job as well anyway. Is this a bad time to do a complete non sequitur and just share a quick story about how I played with Gris in the Legacy Cube using my free moto token? Sure. Sure. Go for it. This is a great time for that. It's the dive down. Every time's a good time for random side side notes. All right. Random sidebar. So we got these free cube tokens in Moto, and I did mine over the weekend, and it was awesome. In fact, I went 2-1, so it actually paid for my Yawgmoth League. Thank you. And I drafted green, black reanimator, and I drafted a Grist and a Sylvan Library, which is actually kind of a funny non-bow because Sylvan Library allows you to put cards back on top of your library at the beginning of your draw step or pay for life to draw extra cards. Right. And at first I missed that non-bow and I just kept putting good cards back on top of my library and then just milling them with grist and then thinking, why aren't I drawing these good cards that I am setting myself up for? It's, it's a bug. 
Magic on Moto's bugged. Sylvan yeah. Library and Grist are bugged. Did you, did you take it to Twitter? I did take it to Twitter. Like I take all of my grievances. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what we do. Speaking of one of the first cards I was I ever loved in Magic, like really really loved. I, that wasn't a course that card was Sylvan Library. But anyway, what's your record on uh, amount of grists you milled with grist? I never got zero. One. Two yeah. two in a row. I made three insect tokens and put uh, three <laughs> loyalty counters on grist. It was sweet, and then I lost. <laughs> hmm. Weird. Checks out. Weird how that works sometimes. So Grist, perfect utility player for the deck. Yes. Let's. Uh, and then of course it's a toolbox deck. It's a modern deck. It's going to have a sideboard. These can vary significantly. Yeah, but it does have sideboard cards in it sometimes too, right? Like uh, the list that I was playing before we even get to the sideboard. Sideboard. There's there's a couple of flex slots to be able to do things with. One card that's in these is that it's you know like like you would think a lot of people probably pack some graveyard hate some searchable graveyard hate into their decks these days and so the list that i was playing had a single uh endurance and a single scavenging use in the main even but there's there's room for you to do a couple things like that because you can just search them up uh, yes. with one of your tutor effects and so a lot of the sideboard is built off of creatures that do things like that although not all of it there's plenty of other cards as well here yeah i ran demonic tutors most recent list actually and he has a main deck scavenging ooze and it's just like you know super valuable when you need it like the graveyard super important right now and it attacks that but it also can take over stabilized games and just provides like a, a pretty juicy target for removal when they want to be removing other spells that you might have it's a nice way to gain life yes. too if you feel like you're falling behind but for sure. All right, the sideboard. And of course, this might be different because the uh, from week to week even because the metagame changes. If you have a local meta that's different, something like that. Since we already started talking about sideboard creatures, can we start with sideboard creatures? Like main deck sideboard creatures? Sure. What other things show up in that creature package that are searchable, etc.? I mean, Stan mentioned Thrun. You sometimes will see some Thruns, which is uh, good against control, great against control, really. It's uncounterable. It has hexproof. Uh, deals four damage every turn. Deals four damage. Weird. Uh, obstinate Bayloth, uh, a life gain creature that can also be good if you're against a, a discard heavy meta like Kroxas, fairly popular right now. What else do we have? We have Outlined Liberator. That's a yeah, card we, we talked about. Huge what, card. Is that, the, is that AFR? That is from Midnight Hunt. Midnight Hunt, yeah. That's kind of our upgrade of a Reclamation Sage. And do you have the text on that, Dave? I do. So Outland Liberator is a 2-2 human werewolf for a generic and a green. It has the activated ability of one generic sacrifice Outland Liberator, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and it's daybound when you flip it. You can pay generic and sacrifice it to destroy target artifact or enchantment. But then it also says whenever frenzied trap breaker attacks, destroy target artifact or enchantment defending player controls. So if you get to flip it and go for it, then you get to just destroy their their artifacts and enchantments that are that are just hanging on the board without even sacrificing it. Pretty good. I got a lot of experience in with Outline Liberator for this episode because in my league, I brought it in. For five matches in a row. Oh, wow. More on that later. Wowee. So finally, the last couple of cards that are creatures that are in the sideboard are another scavenging use or more scavenging uses quite often because people hate graveyards. 
And then endurance, as we mentioned, uh, there tends to be maybe a full complement of those in the 75 or maybe three, like it's a popular card right now. It's a reasonable threat if you get in a situation where you don't want to combo or can't combo or need to bring in additional threats. Um, endurance, good card in Magic 2021. And a lot of times we have been seeing Magus of the Moon. Like people are doing kind of a light red splash to be able to cast it or just tutor it onto the battlefield itself, which is good against, of course, anything that's heavy, heavily reliant on multicolored lands or tech lands or things like that. So yeah, that's one that a lot of people don't see coming. So good, good thing to keep in mind. For sure. And then there's a lot of spells that can come in and out of the deck, like Thoughtseize, classic black mana, uh, anti-combo, anti-control, things like that. Uh, Crime and Punishment. And this is one of the ones that I should have just had pulled up. And I've got it. Okay. Go for it, go for it Dave. Oh, oh, great. So the thumbnail on Goldfish is sideways. So let me go to the page. Because it is a split card from Dissension. And the first half doesn't matter. Crime, the first half is a reanimation effect. It's three generic white-black that says, put target creature enchantment card from an opponent's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. We can't even you cast it. You don't have white pips, so you're not doing it. But what the other side is, is X generic black green that says destroy each artifact creature and enchantment card with converted mana cost x Ooh, that card is good the punishment side i can't believe that this card hasn't come up more frequently recently right? it's like a, yeah it's like a ratchet bomb that you can just cast like that's without having to deal with any of the weirdness about it what's that golgari spell that everyone wants to be legal and modern that's like similar to this pernicious deed that's it yeah. And so that's definitely flexible, useful, good against uh, kind of like, you know, engineering explosives type effect where if you want to get a bunch of uh, zero drops or one drops like in hammer on the opponent's side, it can do a good job of cleaning those things up because it takes care of artifacts, creatures, enchantments. Uh, think about casting that for one against hammer. Seems okay. Yeah, or zero against saga tokens or on one against boggles, which I did in one game. Uh, because I, of course I played against Boggles in 2022 when I was trying to test this deck. <laughs> um, one thing I will say is that Cora just pointed out in the chat that your Birds of Paradise tap for white mana. So you can, in fact, cast Crime in certain corner case situations if you want to bring back a key card from a graveyard I mean, or from an opponent's graveyard if you want an extra it's, threat. It's something magic, like that. so everything happens yeah. at least once. Exactly. Uh, another, <laughs> another good kind of anti-combo piece is necromentia it's one black black it's from m21 it's a sorcery you choose a card name other than a basic land that seems restrictive search target opponent's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with that name exile them uh they shuffle their library make black zombies for everything that you took out of their hand that way so basically it's just a surgical effect that goes through everything uh preemptively can clean it out for three mana sorcery. So if you know that your opponent is relying on something like Titan or relying on something like Charbelcher or something like that, or like a Thassa's Oracle or something similar, then you can just take care of it that way. Urza lands. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the benefit to this over something like Lost Legacy, where Lost Legacy is non-artifact, non-land. And this is really good against something like Colossus Hammer, for instance, or mm -hmm. you know a deck full of Urza Sagas, if that's what you're worried about. For sure. Get them. Finally, with the last card, guess what? It's Force of Vigor. Heck yeah. Don't forget this card. Notable okay green card. Yeah, don't forget pitch cards. But I will tell you this. If you haven't played with Force of Vigor much, I know it's an expensive card right now. It's better in more matchups than you think it is when you have it in your deck. There's there's 
tons of artifacts and enchantments running around, and you will love getting a two for two or throwing away a, a bad card to be able to kill their good cards. It doesn't matter that it's expensive. You should still own it. You'll feel better. It'll make you happy just to have it in your binder. Yeah, it's $25 now. Yeah. Glad I have a few. My goodness. That's actually down. I don't I don't have any, but I think it was at 30 or above 30 a couple My of weeks goodness. ago. My goodness. All right. So what's another student loan? That's what I always say. <laughs> right. We went through all these cards. That's the boring part. Let's talk about maybe some general strategies that we read about, heard about, picked up on during our play. Uh, what do you guys think about this one? Let's just talk about our initial impressions of playing this deck. So this deck does not play a companion. <gasps> Is that possible? I think it's important to maybe mention why you would play this deck in a metagame, an era that's so monopolized by having companions. And I, I really spent some time trying to figure out what do you get here that you wouldn't get out of a Yorion or Luris or, you know, any other companion pile. And I feel like what Yawgmoth opens you up to do is sometimes win at instant speed on your opponent's turn just by lining up some creatures that are hard to interact with. And then when your opponents maybe tap out or, you know, present a, a an opening there where they're vulnerable because maybe they tap for a Teferi or something, you can just say, aha, I win on the spot. Right. And I don't know of any other deck in the format that can either A, do that instant speed in such a difficult to interact way that also has really strong utility pieces that can let you toolbox through a lot of other difficult matchups or claw your way back from disadvantaged positions because of whatever your opponent happens to be doing. Yeah, I think that's like the the best case scenario there. I do think that that, that is what... I mean, it offers you a really strong combo, I think is right, what you get instead of having a companion. Um, I guess, aside from the companion point, the main thing that I thought about was this deck is really hard to play. I know we talked about it a little bit and everyone says this about this deck, but it's it's difficult to uh, to play, to know when to get things, to know what you're looking for, to actually execute the combo online, make sure you're clicking things in the right order. Fortunately, you have to click a hundred times to make it work, but... Yeah, yeah. there's like an interesting... Okay, so I think that we have played harder decks. I think that they're... I think that this is not... Have I, th- we? I think I think... Oh, I think Amulet is much harder than this deck. I you took the words out of my mouth because I actually felt like Amulet was easy. I think than this. No, I, I don't. Okay, so I think the hard things about this deck are different than hard things about other decks. Perhaps I think a lot of what you do in this deck, and I think that's the case with Amulet at times too, is that you have to strike a lot of balances with this deck with the amount of pressure you feel like you can be applying to the board versus trying to generate value by maybe doing some sacrifice loops or playing a Yawgmoth that really can't do a ton on board, hoping that you can then uh, get two necessary pieces in subsequent turns. So, or And then the balance between how hard you're trying to get to a combo finish versus how hard you're trying to get to uh, just maybe an aggressive or grindy type finish. And I think that that is what's tough is like, hey, it's something as simple as I have a hand where I feel like I could upgrade this card with my Eldritch Evolution. I have to use my mana. If I don't use my mana this turn, then if I draw into something, I won't be able to cast it 
and then Eldritch Evolution. So I'm feeling like, how do I be mana efficient, but also permanent efficient? How uh, am I playing to, do I cord for something that is one half of the piece, and then I draw a redundant piece without drawing the, the needed piece? So it's like, it, it's it's very tough for, for me at least. And I think that's the real challenge is how much am I setting up versus how much am I responding to what my deck gives me and then trying to turn the corner. And I think there's so much that's situational with this deck. And of course, that's just plain magic, right? Is what situation do I find myself in to use the different pieces that I have in play? And I think that's the real tension here that I felt more than in a lot of different decks that I've played recently. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of what you're describing here, and, and I, I, I might also cite the the amulet comparison again, which is some of the combo finishes or the lines that you're pursuing in this deck aren't necessarily deterministic. Where if you don't have a blood artist out and you have less life than your opponent, you can do the chain, but you might still lose. Yeah, you just don't draw what you need. You just brick yeah. and don't get the evolution, don't get a cord, don't get there. Right. You draw, draw seven cards and just whiff and then die. Yeah. Right. And while, you know, Amulet can sometimes use Primeval Titan to pull up powerful lands and to toolboxy things that way, I feel like the difference between the two is that once you get to Primeval Titan, the deck gets so much easier to play and gets more reliably deterministic. Whereas in this one, you want Yogmoth, but Yogmoth alone doesn't necessarily win you the game all the time. It puts a lot of pressure on your opponent to act fast or risk losing sometimes at instant speed, but Yogmoth alone doesn't necessarily win on the spot unless you've arranged all these other flexible pieces to do the specific thing that you need them to do based on the position that you're at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I like. The thing that I like about it is it plays like other creature combo decks that I've played in the past, but instead of like being mad when my Vizier of Remedies gets hit with a fatal push when Yogmoth has a solitude trigger facing it down i'm able to do a lot of stuff like i can put some negative counters on the solitude effectively killing it uh if they cast it if they like hard cast it i can generate a lot of card advantage like if they pitched something along with solitude then i just get a lot of cards back out of that and i feel like i'm sort of generating value and in the past it's just like well i don't like, oh, my one half of my creature combo is killed and I got nothing out of it. Like, I'm playing these truly bad creatures. Like, I mean, uh, what Devoted Druid is not great and Vizier Remedies is extremely not great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. The backup plan of this deck, I think, is is a bit better. In my opinion, is a bit better in those decks. I haven't spent a lot of time playing Druid combo, you know. But um, yeah, being able to go, oh, you killed my Yawgmoth. Well, I'm still going to hit you for seven next term because you put all that you put all that effort into killing my Yogmoth. That seemed to be reasonable and come up pretty often. I I did have a good amount of fun playing this deck. I think I would enjoy it more as kind of time went on, you know? Yeah, I thought it was great. Like I I liked a lot of the the thought processes. I liked a, a lot of the cards that weren't just kind of junky undying creatures playing with grist feels kind of amazing like it, it feels like a different kind of liliana uh where mm. it's like I'm, I'm generating value and then i have the threat of killing your stuff whenever it comes down like 
I, I have multiple ways of I have lots of loyalty and I can tick this thing down a few times and threaten anything you play to the board. So it better have a good ETB for it to do anything against me. Uh, that was a lot of fun to play with. It's it's fun to sort of think about how much mana I have available and what can I do with it. But yeah, it's definitely I don't think I'm not gonna say it's easy by any means. I just think that it's it's a different different kind of lines than we've had to work with for some time, at least at least for me. It's a rewarding deck. I think when you figure out what you're supposed to do in a given position. So even though this one didn't necessarily capture my imagination as some of the other decks that we played, I still thought it was really cool when I found myself in a situation where I had to kind of sit there and think about what I want to do with my Court of Calling because it could effectively grab any card in my deck and it wasn't necessarily in a situation where one card wins me on the spot. Yeah, And figuring out how to kind of navigate those head scratchers is something that you have to be willing and able to do to, I think, really enjoy and actually then be successful with this deck. Because even though it doesn't have like really weird interactions or, or, or triggers that you have to stack in the correct order, it just doesn't ever make things easy for you unless your opponent does nothing and you happen to draw Yawgmoth into Untying Creatures yeah. and a Blood Artist. Do you want to talk about some general strategy tips and tricks like stuff we learned while playing because i think there's a lot to learn uh with this deck and maybe one of the first things we could start off is the the classic like keep and mull strategies because i don't know if i have great answers on this i definitely don't have great answers but i'd love to hear what what you think i tried keeping a lot like dave i think one of the things that you've said about me in the past is that i mulligan too much and i don't kind of let the deck give me what it's going to give me and i do think that's i've been trying to mulligan a lot (laughs) less in general uh and especially with this deck i think you oftentimes don't get a lot of terrible looking hands because you'll typically have some mix of lands mana dorks uh, probably something to do on turn three that looks mildly appealing. Like it, the deck that I was running has four grists. So uh, one mana dork and a turn two grist is always pretty darn juicy looking because grist yeah. can do a lot. And that's really nice. And so that's, I wasn't looking for like, unlike many decks, I wasn't looking for combo pieces necessarily. Like I wanted to be able to do something. But I wasn't looking at this deck as I have to have Yawgmoth. Mm-hmm. I have to have, I don't even need like an undying creature because I know the deck is going to feed me one of my, one or two of my undying creatures. It's going to maybe feed me a Yawgmoth. It's going to feed me some tutors. And if I'm doing something that's creating some kind of board presence and some kind of value on board, I feel like I'm going to get there. Yeah. I want to expand on that for a second. Please. I think what's interesting about the keeper mold decisions here is that this deck is so redundant in the amount of mana dorks and undying creatures that it has, that it usually feels okay, especially in game one in the blind, to just kind of keep a hand that's a couple lands, a dork or two, and an undying creature or two, because you know you're going to find one of you know your 12 copies of Yawgmoth, thanks to all of your tutors, or eventually you'll be able to cord or um, Eldritch Evolution into whatever it is you need in another situation. So a lot of the cards here kind of do the same thing, and then you just happen to have one-ofs here or there that you can fetch up based on what you draw and what you kind of need to get out of the sticky situations that you find yourself in. Yeah, it's like a you know, classic combo deck feel, where it's like rule of eight, rule of 12, where there's a lot of things that are doing very similar things that kind of get you to where you need to be. 
Yeah, I don't think we even mentioned Dryad Arbor. Oh, we somehow did not mention Dryad Arbor, and that it can, of course, like Dryad Arbor, always be pretty darn valuable. Yeah, but but why? Well, it's a, it's a creature, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a land. Oh, so you, <laughs> so you can you can fetch it for various things. I don't feel like I did any like wild and crazy Arbor Elf. Tr- I mean, excuse me, uh, Dryad Arbor tricks. Uh, I don't know if this deck has the opportunity to do a lot of those, but. Uh, what what have you, did you guys find yourself doing fetching uh, Dryad Arbor for any particular reason? I know you can cheat on mana, like uh, Aaron's pointing out. Of course, the 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 cord for zero, which can then get you Dryad Arbor as like kind of a land, and then of course you can also what you can, you kind of like because even if it has summoning sickness, it can be tapped for a cord, which is nice too. Right. I will say I did keep a greedy one lander. With low like low cards, where I was like, oh, I got dry, I got a land. Uh, it's Dryad Arbor, fine. I got mana dorks and something, and then I was like, oh, oh yeah, it has summoning yep. sickness when you play it. So you can't. Don't forget that. I don't play with Dryad Arbor a lot, so don't don't forget that. Yeah, <laughs> that if you're gonna like, I'm gonna turn one, drop this, and play an ignoble hierarch and be sailing. You are you are not gonna do that. And it's fetchable, like too, like you could you could fetch it with a fetch land, and then have sacrifice fodder for Yogmoth, which can be, you know effectively it's fetch draw card. Here's another keep mull question for you guys. Let's say you go to six, and one of your cards is a blood artist. Yeah, I usually send those one offs back. Yeah, I mean unless I see myself comboing extremely quickly, and even at that point, it's like I just kind of assume I can manage my life total in a way that will keep me above my opponent. And I think that's an important thing to talk about in a second too, is like just life total management as as part of just the general strategy of this deck, right? At least I found it to be. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. It's easy, I think, to manage your life total once you recognize how important it is, because you have things like Yavamaya and Urberg that lets you tap your fetch lands for mana without having to crack them. Yeah, those are great. Like, I, I just love it. Like, it just makes, it makes one, making your mana so much easier. And then two, yeah, you're not taking pain off of your fetches uh, unless mm-hmm. you, like, go need to, like, need to fetch something up. So that does, that's really a good part of the mana base for sure. And Yavimaya is a good addition to this deck as well. It's something we forgot to mention. Yeah, and, and likewise, the mana dorks make it easier to fetch up basics as well. You know, if, if especially if you have multiple mana dorks and you're fairly confident that at least one of them is going to survive, then it's easier to maybe just grab a forest, play a bird of paradise, try to cast at least two more spells the next turn. But if you can't, then you've got another mana dork in your hand, hopefully, that lets you sort of take it from there. And even though this is a Golgari deck, it doesn't feel super mana intensive on the black side because you can sometimes fetch up a Yogmoth without having to pay any black mana, or you can find those two pips of black mana, you know, by turn three or four. Yeah, mathematically, time. you're solid yeah. on that. Like, I think the the biggest thing that used to be one of the, the issues is I think people were very stuck on running like three or four Gerald's Messenger, right? And then as, and that was a triple black pips, and that's really fairly tough. Uh, that's why people were running like sets of Twilight Mire, your filter land to make double black and things like that and Urborg. But now when people sort of realize that it's not as necessary as they originally thought, I think you're right, Stan, the mana didn't feel that bad. Even when I didn't have like an Urborg on the board or like a bunch of twilight Myers to be filtering my mana into. I think one of the things that, you know, I just mentioned was like the life total management. And I think one of the reasons that you need to do that is one, so that you don't die kind of the, the strictest the best way to lose a game is by having your life total equal zero. But 
having a lot of life does a number of things. And one is it lets you just value yog if you need to, or you're like, you say like you have uh, some undying creatures out there or a bunch of insect tokens and someone casts uh, a solitude and they're targeting your Yawgmoth, you can then use your life as a resource and let's say draw four or five cards before the removal spell resolves on your Yog. Or you're digging for a combo piece. You have two Undying Creatures, you have to get to that Blood Artist effect, you have to get to the Tutor spell that gets you to your Blood Artist effect to then uh, get your opponent down. And the more cards you can draw, the better, and that requires having some life. And so really carefully maintaining your life total early on, especially then allows you to do that big pivot and do that big corner turn and then take over the game because you're drawing, you know, six, seven, eight, ten cards. And that's a lot of your deck. And that's likely going to get you to what you need to then maybe finish the combo off or flood the board with a bunch of creatures uh, with all the mana you'll have at that point, probably. Yeah. If, if, you have an empty board. You you're not just casting a a naked yog into that, right? You you basically want yog to be surrounded by some number of friends to get you know some kind of value off of. It's almost like you know Lurus or Young Pyromancer, where you don't want to cast it unless there's something you can probably do with it that turn, even if it's just draw a card because you're throwing away a an old mana dork or a dryad arbor. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'd be really careful. I tend to hold that back as long as I could. You know, just to make sure that the coast is clear and also just to make sure, like you said, I can get as much value as possible if somebody if somebody kills kills me, basically. Or kills it, I mean. What else were some of the main considerations you all had uh, when thinking about this deck or getting slightly better with this deck? I, I think one thing I'd love to talk about before we kind of run out of time here as the clock is ticking out as it usually does is, what, what were you guys' impressions of matchups? Like, what matchups do you think are good? Not Maybe let's start with not with specific decks that are good or bad, but like general types of decks. Like to me, I guess what I would throw out there is it felt like playing this that's pretty good against creature decks because of the ability. They're somewhat less interactive. They don't tend to have as deep a removal suite. They have a really tough time with undying creatures because they can't combo you out typically. They can't, yeah, and they also they can't trade with your undying creatures and get ahead in attrition that way. They have to save their removal for Yogmoth, and sometimes you're you know, you know what I mean, then you can combo them off if you have to almost, you know, completely in the free. I struggled a lot against decks that were kind of big mana decks. Like I played against Tron and it just felt like Tron did not care what I was doing at all. Like they were going to get to Karn and then Karn was going to do what they were going to do. And I didn't really have any ways to stop them in the, in the main deck for sure. And then on the sideboard, I really only had Necromentia and, and that wasn't really enough to close it. So decks like that felt like it was really difficult. Like I imagine that Amulet is not a great matchup for this this deck either because Amulet can be just as fast and also interacts in a different way and just kind of take you out as well. And you don't have a lot of tools against that. Um, I don't know. What do you, what did you all think were good and bad matchups? I mean, like conceptually speaking, I didn't love Solitude decks because largely they come along with Prismatic Ending which can get rid of your undying creatures very effectively. Solitude deals with uh, Yawgmoth, and so that doesn't feel great. Uh, I didn't face down any Fury, thankfully, but Fury versus Mana Dorks, Elementals in general, like just Solitude, Fury, 
grist, all those kind of things can be pretty bumpy. Always, uh, yeah, it's like the 2022 challenge is anybody who plays Mana Dorks, sideboard them out against Fury. Like, whatever you're doing, don't leave them ways Not to get value card, off yeah. your cards. Yeah. So, about that, would you have taken out four birds for Hierarch and just only counted on Wall of Roots to be your Mana Dork in that situation? Assuming you, you know, can whittle some eight cards to bring in. You're, yeah, you're just playing a different game then, right? You're like, okay, I can't ramp against them. Yeah. And so okay. what, do I, what tools do I need in my deck? The, the best cards to bring in from the sideboard would be the tools that make your deck better in a scenario where you can't ramp, right? Where you have to go longer. So, I mean, I, did I do that against the Fury deck? I didn't, but would I <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah, should I? I, I would. Yeah, I definitely should. And I, I would, you know, if there was enough, a sideboard that was deep enough, I would even be kind of like, is there, can I just bring in a bunch of creatures and even consider getting rid of some of these undying ones so that I can attack with things that Fury has, doesn't trade off profitably with more, you know, bring in obstinate Bailoth and all your endurances, even if they're not a graveyard yeah. deck, you know? Yeah, just like, just swap the value and the type of game that you're playing, right? Like the the classic adage of, of make, make their cards worth less by by just bringing in stuff that doesn't die to their removal or their, their, their endurance, excuse me, their elementals. And so I think that's just a good advice, Dave is like endurance doesn't have to be a hate piece. It's just a a three, four for three. Pretty good. With flash flash that can, you know, in some cases shuffle your graveyard in back into your library, which, which can be useful too. Um, You know, I had heard before from our friend Aaron and just sort of, uh, a common refrain when people talk about this deck that one of the worst matchups it has in the metagame is Rhinos. And I got to live that actually. How bad was, I was it? Playing for, it was so bad. I was playing for the Burritos match five and I was two and two. And A, they furied the hell out of me. And I think Damn they language. I'm sorry. It was scary. Ding. It's quarter in the square charts. There was three mana dorks when, when the turn started and there were none when the turn ended. Fire Ice also really good in that situation too. And just four fours are huge. And Yogmoth has to do a lot of work to get rid of, you know, anything that's bigger than a three, basically. I did face off a number of combo decks. Um, and one of the leagues I played, I went against Belcher twice, Lantern Control, Hammer Time, and Rhinos. And I actually felt like even though I lost the first Belcher matchup, I'd learned some really good lessons. And then the second one, I knew my role and post-board between Thossies and Necromancia and all the... Forts art- Yeah, and all the artifact hate I, I had, it actually felt like artifact combo strategies were not that bad. Um, Outland Liberator in particular just is such a house against Hammer as well as those, those combo decks. Uh, Outland Liberator is an MVP of a deck like this. I mean, I can imagine that Rex age is also awesome before outland liberator because it makes some of the typical hate against this deck feel like a joke or it's like yeah. someone turns zero ley line, you ley lines you and they're like, well, they can't use their, their graveyard, which makes undying not work. And you're like, I, I don't care. Like I'm just, I'm right. just going to go get outland liberator and I'm going to blow it up if I, whenever I need to at any point, almost. Or Leyland of Sanctity, which is what Lantern did against me. They played a Leyland post board, and I just found my Liberator, and not a problem anymore. I didn't even have to sack it. The fact that it Rexages on attack 
just feels so powerful in a deck against a deck that doesn't have bigger bodies that I have to worry about blockers. And and even if it does have blockers, you can get the attack trigger and then pay the one to get another artifact out of the way too, which is pretty pretty good stuff. Did you guys find yourself using Yogmoth's proliferate very much? Like I, I the more I looked for it, the more I found opportunities to use it. And I think it's actually a bigger piece of the puzzle than you might immediately want want to to admit. I definitely did. I mean, I had a couple of times where I would, you know, I had a grist out and then I had a like I would put a counter on their solitude when they were getting rid of my yog moth and I had a grist out and something else and then I would be like, okay, I'll proliferate here, prolifer you know, proliferate onto the solitude that they cast to kill it you know, make Grist bigger, da, da 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 But that's kind of the general play, I think, is kill a couple, put one token on a couple of their creatures and then proliferate to kill a bunch of them is what I was doing. It lets you do some tricky things against like Ephemerate-style decks where it's like, if they, if you put a, a counter on it and then try to put like a second counter on it and they try to Ephemerate it to keep it from dying, then you can proliferate in response so like you effectively mm. get the second counter on, like where it doesn't really give them an opportunity to, to to save their creature from removal because you have multiple ways of putting counters on. You don't have to mm. put like two more or something like that. So it's just like yeah, it gives you different options and it requires different amounts of card. Like if you have more mana than you do sacrifice fodder, then that lets you uh effectively just put more counters on than you could normally. So it's it's another reason that I think this deck is great against creature strategies. It's because you can sort of get the party started with like just a few negative one, negative ones, and then start proliferating with the mana you have available to you. And like you said, it's like a good way to ramp up your grist into uh, ultimate mode and then mm -hmm. deal a bunch of damage to your opponent, which can either kill them or put you in uh, the position to win without a blood artist or something like that. So that's all really valuable too, I think. Yeah, I think that generally the two abilities on Yogg are both very powerful and you should be looking for opportunity. It's kind of like when we said, did you ultimate with Grist at all? And it's like, well, if you're not, you're probably not crafting board states where it's good enough. And I think the proliferate falls into the same thing. You, you should be looking for ways to use it. Do you all want to talk about some strengths and weaknesses that you felt playing this deck besides just sort of matchups? I felt weak. You felt weak in what way? I, I was the biggest Just generally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you, Stan, Stanislav. Yes. Yeah, same. Yes. Um, it's just definitely, you know, I feel like every deck we talk about now, we're, we're kind of past 101 magic, and we're talking about decks that are new and different and more intricate and have certain players that are expert at them, and then getting into them is kind of hard. And this is one of those decks, right, where it's like, it rewards experience. It rewards thinking about options. And you're not going to see every option you have available to you until you've, you know, until you've not seen it. And then you realize it after the fact or something like that. Yeah. It's sort of like on the one hand, the basic plan of this deck is pretty simple. It's rampant at Yogmoth with undying creatures on the board. But the way that you get there and the way that you get there in a way that's resilient to what other decks can do is the thing that's hard with this because that's what you have to really think about is like, okay, when they do this, then I have to do this. And so um, that's why this deck I think is really complicated more than anything else is that you have to be prepared for the way your opponents are going to try to interact maybe slightly more than with other decks. 
Yeah, I like the flexibility of it. Like, I like the fact that it's tunable. I like the fact that people are still experimenting with builds on it. Uh, I think it has some good matchups into some popular decks. Like, I think, like, Ragavan-style decks and Hammer-style decks, it's pretty good against. I think it has. But then at the other, at the same time, it also has some pretty big weaknesses, like we talked about. And so I think that's that's fair and good and what modern is kind of about. I think that you can get a lot of points through experience against your tougher matchups. And I think that it definitely feels like it has the power to be one of the top tier decks in modern, but you have to unlock that. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna immediately uh, get the full value out of this deck. But that's what like I keep saying, that's what we say about every deck we play anymore. Dave, how did you feel about this versus Amulet? Since you know you're a new Amulet convert having played the two so recently <laughs> all i've said though is that i'd like to go back i keep saying i'm gonna go back to amulet and then i don't now that you're our but, official amulet stan yeah exactly not your amulet uh, main dave i think that ultimately this is i don't even know i think this is ultimately harder to to pilot than amulet but i'm not sure really like maybe it's that plan a is easier to pull off an amulet and plan b is harder you know and so if you just want to beat down, like there is no beat down backup plan really in, in Amulet. Like it's either it's you tighten or you lose basically. And with this deck, it's like, maybe I kill you with three strangle root guys. Like I got a triple strangle root guys draw. Can you really do anything about that? No, your wrath doesn't do anything, you know, like, so you can just kind of luck into aggro wins. So maybe, maybe that makes this a little bit easier in that sense. I, I think that, I think they're pretty different realistically. Uh, I think Amulet's more of a combo deck, and this is a little bit more of just a rampy creature deck to me. But yeah, it's like a value toolbox deck, and that's and but unfortunately, the the pieces are not such that they feel amazing on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like you know, it's not like a birthing pod style deck where you're getting to when like a, when Seed Rhino was something that could take over or stabilize or something like that. Like it's a very different kind of thing that you're doing and ultimately like i think you just really have to like drawing cards <laughs> through like you just have to like be like i like drawing cards i love drawing cards this is not that type of deck though oh, i think i think it's all about drawing the cards like i think that's like the the big game is like i'm i'm using a bunch of you know cruddy things on board to draw a bunch of stuff that then just gets me enough value over time. Like it still is a green black based deck. Like it still is a grind them out like value over time uh, type strategy. And that's both through the, the recursion of your creatures through the drawing of cards through Yawgmoth through then deploying back to the board uh, and then and, and then sort of being able to effectively outvalue your opponent over time, just in a very different way than a lot of decks are making value these days. Yeah. All right. Bottom line. You got my bottom line on this, I guess. Shane, did you enjoy playing it? Would you play it again? Would you add it to your list of decks? You, it's you already on the list. It's on the, it's on the it. list, my friend. It's on your list. Does it stay on the list? It, I, Do you still I think it's, keep it, it stays on the list. Here's the thing. It, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be i didn't want it to feel it didn't feel broken and i didn't think it was gonna feel broken but i sort of wanted to go in and have some matchups and just feel like i'm very quickly getting this combo together or i'm very quickly feeling like i'm outvaluing my opponent or i'm blocking ragavans all day and it's like well i didn't see ragavan at all you know what i mean like it's just like well then my this young wolf concept 
feels great in con in in concept, but then in execution, it's like, well, this is this is a pretty crappy one drop if I'm not blocking mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I liked it a lot. Um, I think there's a lot to learn. It's the kind of deck that I think rewards time and will definitely be on my short list of stuff that I focus on in the near future, I think, over the coming year. Stan, your bottom line? I'm probably not going to revisit this one personally, but I think there was a ton of value in sort of living it because I faced it down so many times where I actually thought it was so scary and... You know, I've had it both ways, actually, where I was playing control and it just felt like the deck could do nothing against me. And then I would play sometimes like an aggro deck against it and it just felt like it was unbeatable. And now knowing that it can be really fragile and what are the most important interactive pieces and what it's capable of doing, sometimes at instant speed or sometimes with creatures that you think have summoning sickness, Mm -hmm. recognizing all of its lines as the pilot, I think actually makes it easier than to formulate plans against it. So I would say if you're trying to get good at modern from a high level, like it's good. This is a good deck to pilot just once for the heck of it, similar to Amulet Titan in that regard. But it's not necessarily the type of deck that's just, you know, so capital F fun that it's going to have a big loyal fan base like Arclight Phoenix seemed to have in every format where that's legal. Yeah, I mean, I just think with that last point, I would say that you you just think different things are fun because clearly this deck has a really devoted fan base of people, and maybe it is a little niche, but it's you know it's at top, it's getting top end results. A lot of good players are picking it up. Reduke we talked about, Demonic Tutors is really you know cut a path with it. So I do think that it can have a growing fan base, but I agree that the way that it works is a little niche. I will say, I think there's always going to be a deck like this in modern somewhere, right? There's going to be a creature value deck that does some tricky stuff that's always going to be hanging around, and Yawgmoth is the one of the moment because it has the best card of the moment, and that those two cards probably really are Grist and Yawgmoth, right? And so I think as long as that's an engine, there'll be stuff going on here with these until Modern Horizons 3 comes out and uh, even more broken sacrifice and search engine comes up. Like they put, they make a good Vanifar or something. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess this is this is the pod deck until pod is legal. But that does wrap up this week's show. Another deck dive in the bag. Always a pleasure. Let us know what you think and what other decks we should focus on in the future. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. And now, I guess you can give us star ratings on Spotify. Please do that, too. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word. You can email thedivedown at gmail.com. Or you can even leave an audio message that could appear on a future episode of the show over at podinbox.com slash thedivedown. If you'd like to support our show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown to get into our private Discord server and other swag will be mailed to you at a future date. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. If you sign up for Mana Traders with promo code the Dive Down 2022, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can also support our show with our new sponsor, Barristern Man, that focuses on grooming, facial hair, and other hair care products. If you use Promo code the Dive Down 2022, you'll get 15% off your first order through Barrister and Man. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get 
your physical 